Welcome to the Sword and Song Podcast. Here, Montana pastors Jonah Barnes, Ted Sutton, and Flynn Ayers discuss issues that build up the church and defend her from the enemies of the faith. That the glorious gospel song will be heard throughout Earth's remotest bounds. All right. Well, we're back. Sword and Song podcast with Ted's Ted, Pastor Ted and Pastor Jonah, and I'm Pastor Flynn, and I get to lead this one as uh, Ted last Ted uh, uh, led the last ones. I guess we don't know what order these will be these will be uh, uploaded yet, do we? So um, I assume Ted led the last one. So the topic for this podcast is going to be. Uh, particularly uh, a question, actually, um, and we'll see how far we get to it. But the question was, will there be a rapture? And so obviously, this leads to the much broader topic of eschatology, which is always popular. If you ask, uh, I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but I think it's pretty common if you just ask the congregation you know, hey, we're going to preach through a book of the Bible. Which one do you want to go through? Or, hey, a discipleship <laughs> or, you know, Sunday school class. Hey, what subject do you guys want to do? And probably we always say Leviticus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Please, that's right. please, more Leviticus. <laughs> I want to go over the sacrificial system once again. <laughs> probably yeah. for the first time, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Eschatology, right? Eschatology. Yeah, Revelation, eschatology. Revelation. And part of that, Part of that is due to the just the current climate of our Christian culture and also the culture at large, uh, just the way our the way our nation is, the way the modern world is, um, the the difficulties that we're experiencing in the world, uh, the premillennial dispensational premillennial view, actually just premillennial. I would say there's two premillennial views, you know, historic and dispensational but for our purposes they're pretty much the same uh, today um you know one of their 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 eschatology um, seems to be reflected in what's in what's going on in the world today in terms of things getting worse and worse uh, but before i got ahead of myself a little bit let me let's talk about first of all i want to do just a brief introduction on what premillennialism is what the rapture what the rapture is and because it's a part of that system of eschatology. And then we'll just ask you guys the question, will there be one? And then we can kind of go from there. Does that sound all right? Yeah. So maybe um, maybe we can even kind of do one step out and just kind of give a, a quick, brief definition of eschatology. I mean, I, I would. Sure. Assume, yeah, 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 yeah. I would assume most of most of our listeners will know what that is. But, you know, just in case. So yeah, no, most definitely. So eschatology, the study of last things, end times. How will how is it all going to end? You know, the, the, the old uh, Truman Show button. You guys ever seen the Truman Show? If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Um, how's it all going to end? So um, in modern times, there have been, I will, I will say, three primary views. Premillennialism, again, there's two distinct versions of, of that historic and dispensational and they are different 
But again, for rapture purposes, they're pretty much the same as compared to um, amillennialism is the other one. And then post-mill, post-millennialism, which most of us likely are, are post-mill in the CREC. So um, why millennialism? Well, first, again, I want, I want to be really brief on this, but um, the millennium is in Revelation 20, the thousand-year reign of Christ, as it's described in Revelation 20. Satan is bound for a thousand years. And he's released at the end of that thousand years. So um, premillennialism makes that text, the foundational text for their version of the end times. And ever since premillennial, premillennialism came about, um, the discussion of end times has revolved around the millennium. So amillennial and postmillennial views, you know, are don't really um, focus on that particular text, but because of dispensational premill in particular, that's how we that's how we talk about it. So so that's eschatology's end times millennial millennialism. It means a thousand years, and it's dealing with that Revelation twenty. Okay, real quick, rapture. In the late eighteen hundreds, so actually, let me let me back up. Before the late eighteen hundreds, there wasn't we didn't have this kind of discussion, right. So people people weren't talking about millennial views. People, you know, scholars, pastors, theologians, of course, for the centuries, throughout the centuries, have talked about revelation and talked about the end. But the discussion has changed since the 1800s. John Nelson Darby was the theologian um, in England that came up with dispensational premillennial. History has been being played out according to dispensations rather than a covenant, covenantal history. We would say history has been playing out covenantally. He kind of made his own, he called them dispensations. And, right. um, and this view, go ahead. Well, and, and dispensations are, are kind of um, epochs. Maybe that's not the right word. They're, yeah, they're eras. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Right. Just, Eras of time. I think I can't remember how many there were at this point, but um, some of them correspond a little bit with the covenants, the beginning and ending of the covenants, you know, covenant of, with Abraham and with Moses and with David um, and, of course, the new covenant. But uh, but anyway, anyway, he just came up with that. It was not popular, by the way. You guys probably know. I'm sure you guys know. Do you guys you guys know who Darby was not popular. Do you know who you know who popularized dispensational premillennial thought I'm, I'm giving you guys a, a, a quick test <laughs> Schofield. Schofield. in fact i bet i bet you i bet you all three of us have a Schofield bible somewhere or I we had a Schofield I, bible i've never yeah, had well, one. so but actually actually to your point ted um Schofield was uh, an american so for our listeners out there he was an american and his and he bought into this. Uh, he was enraptured, not to, <laughs> no, no pun intended. Um, actually, I take it that was intended. That wasn't. Um, <laughs> he was in. He was in. He was uh, totally caught up in Darby's theology on the end times, and Schofield's contribution, Schofield's genius. If you, if if, uh, if you want to, his bright idea. Let's put it that way. 
was to create a one of the first study Bibles, one of the first reference Bibles. And so he produced the Schofield Reference Bible. So like to your point, Ted, everybody, it was, it was super popular in America. It gets, just got super popular. Everybody had a Schofield Reference Bible and the Bible itself was focused on was was the, the the notes in the bible were all related to premillennial eschatology yeah and so you know 100 years later and that was 1909 so nowadays what do we got we got that is the view that is the majority view in america today and so you have many of us grew up in the church thinking it was the only view <laughs> if you're like me, if you grew up in a, a non-reformed church, an evangelical church, I, that was the only view I thought. So Tim LaHaye left behind. So real quick, again, real brief, real brief. This is this is a super quick sketch of the end. Things are going to, so dispensational premill or premillennialism in general. Things are going to get worse and worse. Okay. The kingdom of darkness gets stronger and stronger. <clears throat> the church gets smaller and smaller to the point at which um, the Antichrist will be able to arise. The Antichrist will begin his war against uh, the, the whatever church is left. And then uh, at some point right before uh, Jesus comes, when he comes, you know, actually he comes and he raptures the church. So that's kind of the situation. Things are going to be really awful. The Antichrist is arising. People are going to be taking the mark of the beast. Um, things are going to be really awful and dispensational. We'll be going through that great tribulation in the church. Now, historic premill, and I don't want to get into the confusion here. Historic premill says the church is post-trib. So pre-trib, post-trib, that's all premillennial stuff. Post-trib, pre-trib. Anyway, basically things are bad and bad and that things are awful. And then Jesus comes and raptures the church. In other words, people who are, who are alive today, who are Christians, uh, meet Jesus up in the air and disappear from the earth. So if you've seen Left Behind, if you're flying on a plane and you're not saved and your pilot is a Christian, I'm very sorry for you. The, the plane is going down. And the picture on the freeways is, you know, you know, Christians who are driving behind the wheel disappear, car, you know, mass chaos. And that's when things really get bad because the church is gone. The Antichrist, and we'll stop there because because our question is particularly the rapture. Um, but um, eventually, um, just briefly, eventually Antichrist will be defeated by Jesus um, when he comes back, when he comes back again. And there's varying views on if it's immediate or if it comes back in, you know, however many years, seven years of tribulation, something like that. And, um, and uh, when he comes back, he defeats the Antichrist and uh uh, the Antichrist and the beast is thrown into the pit. Satan is bound for a thousand years and Jesus will rule physically on the earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then Satan is released at the end. And then then there's the final the final battle. I shouldn't say final. Armageddon happens before the thousand year reign of Christ. So we're talking about Armageddon before. Anyway, OK, so rapture. The church is taken away. From, from this period, and Jesus rules on the earth. So um, the question to you guys is, will there be a rapture? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think you you hit a lot there. Um, you know, and no, <laughs> eschatology, good. right? Yeah, eschatology. One of one of the things that um, I think is is crucial to this discussion. Well, there's there's a number of things. First, I think you know, so kind of backing up quite a bit. Um, when it comes to uh, an official dogmatic position that the church has put out on eschatology, there's really only been one that is codified in the creeds, and that is Christ is coming uh, again to judge the living and the dead, right? So so every, every Orthodox Christian, every Orthodox Christian affirms that uh, there will be an end to, to this, this historical world that we know, there will be, there will be an end, there will be a coming of Christ, a literal coming of Christ, where he will uh, judge the living and the dead, uh, and then there will be a, uh, a new heavens and a new earth uh, consummated, right? So we're not, when, when we're discussing these issues of rapture, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, we are, we are doing so within the context of orthodox brothers and sisters who affirm that christ will indeed come again um the issue that we're, we're we're wrestling with is whether or not scripture speaks to the particularities and and how uh we we interpret those views so uh we're not we're not saying that you know dispensationalist christians are heretics in that in that broad sense of they deny you know the orthodox um oh some would call us heretics though comes what oh some would call us heretics some would call us heretics and that's unfortunate but that is unfortunate um, but i i just want that to be i want that to be clear now that doesn't mean um that there are not serious um problems with those with that view and i and i hope that you know as we kind of flush this out that we can kind of point some of those out um, and so one of the one of the things that's tied to that too is um, you mentioned mo the millennial kingdom and and that comes from Revelation chapter 20 20 or Revelation chapter 20 uses the number 1,000 years I think uh, six <laughs> times in in Revelation 20 if I can remember um, somebody can can correct me if I'm wrong on that one um, and from the from the dispensational perspective. That's where they're getting that that understanding of millennial is from that 1,000 years. And so uh, the pre, aw, and post uh, positions have their positions built on, on, that, on that text, right? So a premillennialist will say Christ is coming before, then he'll set up a, a millennial reign, 1,000 years. It's a literal number, literal 1,000 years. He will reign, um, and then, then the end will come after that. And all millennials will say the 1,000 years is to be taken symbolically uh, to represent a, a full number. Um, and Christ is spiritually ruling now through his church, um, uh, you know, in that sense. And then there will be um, the, the eternal state will be ushered in at his, at his return. And the post-millennialists will say, um, well, there, there are differences even within post-millennialists. Um, some Earlier postmillennialists believed that there would be a, a literal 1,000-year, quote-unquote, golden age um, of kind of prosperity and, and 
and, and, and kingdom growth and, and things like that. And then Christ will come. Uh, more modern day post-millennialists will, will kind of take a, a similar view as an amillennialist and say that Christ is, is reigning now. Uh, and that that 1000 years is, is, a, is a symbolic number that represents again, fullness of time uh, representing Christ's reign from his first advent to his second advent uh, but that this period of, of time represents the, the growth and expansion of the kingdom of Christ. Um, you know, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the the, um, the church and the church advancing in, in and throughout history. Um, the, the biggest problem with any of these views uh, really is that it, it, it takes a, a difficult uh, chapter of scripture and a difficult book of scripture and makes that kind of the, the ground and starting point for eschatology. And one of the, one of the key hermeneutics and that's hermeneutics is the, uh, science and art of, of interpretation. Um, so one of the, one of the key things that, that, you know, most interpreters of scripture throughout the church age have recognized is that, um, you you want to build your your understanding of doctrine on the clear passages of scripture um and then let those clear passages of scripture form and formulate your understanding of the less clear passages of scripture um and so i think again one of the problems with kind of putting it and positing it in these these you know, millennial positions is, is it, it doesn't really do that. Um, and I think if you start looking at other texts of scripture, so you talked about the question for us today is the rapture. And so the only reason why I'm bringing that up is because there's only one place in scripture where that thought process, that terminology of quote unquote rapture is given to us. And it's given to us in a very difficult passage of scripture as well. Um, and so if we can think about principles that are there to guide us um, into thinking about that term rapture and what it means, um, then, then I hope, then I think that's how we should understand uh, that term. So rather than taking that term and, and trying to cram it and make it fit into other places of scripture I think we should let the other clear passages of scripture determine what we are to do and how we are to interpret that rapture text, that rapture passage in, in second Thessalonians. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think. Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah. Is it second Thessalonians? Um, well, it's one of the Thessalonians. <clears throat> I have First Thessalonians four fifteen through seventeen. That's what Thessalonians yeah. is the man First of sin. Yeah. Second Thessalonians is the man of sin. Yeah. Well, um, yes, I would say, um, uh, yeah, no, that's exactly right. Analogy of the faith and good hermeneutical principles um, are extremely important when you're when you're coming, uh, you know, to prophecy most definitely. And so that's what we want to do for sure. Jonah, did you have a comment or any comment on that? I have lots of comments. All right. <laughs> Well, so, um, so Ted, you're 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 going ahead. <clears throat> you think we want to jump to look at Thessalonians? I think before we do that, I, I was going to ask 
Jonah, again, if you wanted to make any comment before that. No, I'm, I'm good with moving forward. Um, okay. I think, I think there's so much wrapped up in premillennial dispensationalism before we before we discuss the rapture that, you know, just the issue of hermeneutics. You, Matthew 24 uh, is a hermeneutical issue. Is Jesus talking right. about the end of the world or is he talking about 70 AD? And that is a hermeneutical problem that the modern church can't get over. Right. So right. All, all of that Mark 13, uh, Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, all that plays into their view of the tribulation, right? The great tribulation that's in our future, but Jesus yeah. says it's already happened. Right. So, and know, I, and I would say this, it's not just as simple as flipping over to first Thessalonians four right. and uh, trying to figure out what Paul said. I mean, to I mean, we can do that, of course, but when we're talking about the dispensational theology as a whole, yeah. the rapture is just a, a piece that's built on all these other false hermeneutical understandings of scripture. I right. And I guess that's what I was going to say, um, Ted, I was going to be uh, maybe perhaps um, less, less gracious <laughs> in, in saying that, well, first of all, I a hundred percent agree that, that the, um, about we're talking we're talking about stuff within the realm of orthodoxy here so differences of opinion within the realm of orthodoxy absolutely true uh, i was going to be a little less gracious in the sense that i um given what you just said about proper biblical hermeneutics um i do think of the three views the premillennial view um engages in improper biblical hermeneutics and that's that's the big problem that's the reason why you come up with all the all the all the you know all the nonsense really in my opinion and one of the reasons I, i'm calling it nonsense too because i used to be in the dispensational camp i remember walking around being afraid that we were taking the mark of the beast i remember and there's we have so many teachers that um of, in the dispensational in the premillennial world build their entire ministry only on eschatology mm-hmm. right and that and and you know and we were i remember following guys like that and so now yeah i have a tendency to get uh, maybe not not, a, not excited but i get a little less <laughs> a little less room for some of those guys you know teachings you know really you know in a lot of ways um some of those guys are you know are really peddling fear i mean i we had guys i, I remember i had guys teaching us that the that the locusts in revelation you know were uh the new military helicopter that's coming you know that had come out um and that you know Israel they found the site they're going to start building the temple and the mark of the beast the, 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 there's laws right now in the legislature that um are going to require you to have your social security number tattooed on your arm and uh, I remember this is back in the 80s you know in early 90s I remember you know, I mean, it was just we were walking around completely afraid. And so it was a very it was very much a release in a, in a lot of ways from bondage uh, right. to to, you know, come to a, a more biblical understanding of how to interpret scripture, you know, that, that biblical hermeneutic. Um, and so, yeah, when I think of friends and family that are that are still dispensational pre-mill nobody knows dispensational at all by the way my friends and family but they are pre-mill 
Um, I don't think of them. I don't have them in mind. You know, um, uh, I usually am thinking of these teachers <laughs> out there. And so, I, yeah, um, authors. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and you, you mentioned right. So Schofield popularized dispensationalism yeah. as a as an academic theological system. I would say Tim LaHaye popularized it culturally uh, yes. as as what most people think and know about what's going to happen so that's right yeah most people have no idea what that term dispensationalism but they know left behind right they, exactly they, so when you think dispensation dispensationalism for for good or for ill and i know many dispensationalists who disagree uh with the left behind series but for good or for ill that is kind of the the americanized version of of it you you have yeah. um seven year tribulation is kind of the next thing on the timetable right so before this yeah, seven right. year before this seven years the church is raptured up then there's a seven year period of tribulation uh halfway through antichrist shows up he makes a covenant he uh, right then he then he turns his back on the covenant then it's hell on earth type situation after the end of the seven years, Christ returns um, and sets up his millennial reign. Uh, Satan is bound during that time so that Jesus can have a, an earthly 1,000-year reign in Jerusalem um, on the throne of David. There is a, a rebuilt temple that will allow this to happen. And, and then after that, Christ uh, judges, and there's one last battle, and... Uh, and the new heavens and new earth are are brought in, um, type of type of thing, right? So, so left behind is is really that that popularization of, you know, that system of of thought. And and so, again, getting back to the original question, what you know, is the rapture real, um, or or, I guess maybe a better way to put it is, is the premillennial view of the rapture and the pre-quote tribulation rapture, what we should think about with respect to the biblical language of being caught up into the air? Right. Um, or is there a better way, a, a way that's more faithful to the rest of, of scripture um, and, and what scripture teaches with respect to what will happen when Christ comes again? Yeah. Um, that's, a, I, that's a good way to phrase it. Yeah, and I think all three of us, obviously, for, for obvious reasons, would would agree that there there's a better and more faithful way to understand um that that being caught up in the air what is, what does that being caught up in the air mean in first that's, again first yeah first thessalonians i was gonna say yeah, that, and, yeah so that, whatever paul's that. talking about in first thessalonians 4 you know one of the problems with interpreting it in the modern way is that paul's not writing to the thessalonians and so we automatically assume that paul's writing to the church in 2023 yeah, you know, so right. the Thessalonian right. church, they would read Paul and say, "This isn't for us. This is this is for two thousand years later." <laughs> and that that hermeneutical or Jesus when he's in the Olivet discourse in Matthew twenty four, right? He's speaking to the audience, but we act like we're the ones standing there, right? When really it's them in the first century that Jesus is speaking to. Here it's the Thessalonian church. So whatever. Whatever Paul's talking about to the Thessalonian church, it has to mean something to them, right? It can't. It can't just be plucked out of the Thessalonian context of the first century 
and applied to the American church in 2023. Otherwise, Paul's lying. Right. And yeah. I'm not going to attribute the apostles, you know, I'm not going to attribute li lying to the apostles. <laughs> you know, so, same thing with John in 1 John 2 and the Antichrists. John is writing about Antichrist in the first century. Which, by the way, just let me interject. I don't want to stop. Don't stop your train of thought. It, it might be interesting for people to know that Antichrist, the word Antichrist, is not in Revelation at all. Sometimes right. that's a revelation. Antichrists yes. are in uh, the passage you're talking about. First John 2. Um, yeah. And it's plural. It, it, exactly. And, and plural. <laughs> and John actually tells us um, what an Antichrist is. And it's someone who denies that Christ came in the flesh. Right. Um, right. Yep. So now that doesn't that doesn't mean that there there couldn't be uh, an antichrist figure, um, right? Or or um, or that there's a connection between um, the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. Uh, in in second, that's where I'm getting my second Thessalonians. In right. Second Thessalonians, um, that is connected with antichrist, but but the texts don't say that, and so. There's we no supernatural to, power attributed to them, right? So we have to make we have to make a bigger, broader biblical theological connections that are that are legitimate before we before we do that because the text the texts don't say that, right? right. Same thing uh, with the the man of sin or the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians. Paul says he's alive in their day, right? Right. <laughs> so either he's he's been alive for two thousand years. Or it has something to do with Paul's context in the first century. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, those are our options. And so, you know, from the from the dispensationalist perspective, what what the what I think the dispensationalist does wrong in, in their view is they they take they put everything in the future to to de, to the degree that uh, the people in in the first century would not have understood that right? yeah, they, they don't know anything right so there there would need to have been some modern application there would have need to be a, a modern understanding of, of that of that text um in order for them to know what paul was was saying um so simply to just push it all the way into the future i, I think is is an injustice to the to the text mm -hmm. And in my mind, it's also a little arrogant and prideful to think that the modern American church is the one on whom, if, you know, if they're right, if the premillennial is right, the dispensationalist is right, how arrogant to assume that we're the ones, <laughs> the American church, is the, is the, we're the ones on whom the ends of the ages have come. And, th you know, that's that's really interesting, um, the American church. Uh, and it's maybe this is true, and I'm sure this is true of churches in all other countries, just as a side note. We have a tendency to think that our version of Christianity and the things that we're going through are, are um, you know, universal throughout history and throughout, you know, the, the throughout the world. So um, dispensational premillennialism is an American phenomenon. Uh, it's, you know, it, it primarily started in America. And I still don't I don't know how widespread it is. Um, throughout the world now, as as you know, when we you know, as as America did a pretty good, was pretty extensive in planting churches in in the third world and in other countries, but but it really is an American thing. We run into that with wine, you know. People grow up in the church having grape juice, 
and thinking that the, the church has always had grape juice. The church is always, that's the way it has been. And that's the way it is all the way around the world when it's actually an American phenomena from the 18, from the late 1800s. Oh, I'm a guy just named like, Welch. Yeah. <laughs> just like, just like the rap, just like, just like the issue. Uh, uh, I, I just of, preached of on first uh, John two a couple of weeks ago and and I'm trying to shake the premillennial dispensational theological view off the bones of my people. And when you read when you read the Bible, you need to kind of step aside from what you've always been taught, at least as American Christians. And and I was pointing out that uh, in the history of the church, you know, the what we would call the, the partial preterist view was was mainline. And the dispensational view is rather novel and new, like you mentioned in your opening uh, Flynn. And I pointed out in my sermon that the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, which was written in 1662, has a calendar. Have you, have you guys ever looked at it? In, in the beginning of the Book of Common Prayer, there's a calendar for liturgical dates, and they yeah. draw out the year for, uh, they draw out the calendar dates for Easter to the year 6000. Right? That's that's the common view of Christendom. We're, we're in the early stages. B.B. Uh, Warfield, Right, the Princeton Theological Seminary professor, uh, he died in 1921. Right at the same time as all this Schofield stuffs going on. Yeah, he was alive and he taught in seminary to his students who are going to be pastors in America that we still are alive in the early church, that there are many more millennia left for the church to have dominion in the world. I mean, that's American heritage too. Right, so. Uh, it's not as though Schofield is the only guy or dispensationalism is the only guy. Um, the right. church yeah. Brownlee Absolutely. Yeah. Good has, point. has seen the length of time rather than the shortening of it. Yeah, good point. Yeah, the, and you brought it, you, you mentioned the word, Ted, futurist. Um, that is really uh, the, the defining, the, the distinctive factor that just that separates the premillennial view from ah from ah mill and post mill, that the premill are futurists. All of these texts are yet yeah. still in the future for us, and that's what you mentioned, Jonah. We have that tendency to read the texts as if they were written exactly to us without understanding the context. And then hermeneutics comes into it. You know, Matthew twenty four is is one of those essential. The guy that took over the, the guy that took over for uh, Lahey, his name is uh, Thomas Ice. And he said that Matthew 24 is, and he, I think he quotes actually, hey, Matthew 24 is the most important uh, text for understanding um, Revelation, Jesus's prophecies on, uh, on, on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse. And hermeneutically, again, we talked about good biblical hermeneutics. Uh, you, you mentioned this, uh, Jonah. Um, I'm going to flush it out just a little bit more. Hermeneutically, we are not allowed to take a futurist position Correct. on that passage. Um, Jesus says all of these things will happen in this generation. And he doesn't just say that once. He says it in Matthew 24, but he uses that phrase uh, six other times in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's always judgment. Mm -hmm. And it's always on the generation of the people who are listening to him. Right. He was preparing his disciples. And he, he also, in the Olivet Discourse, was not a why it was not speaking to the general public he was speaking to his disciples privately and this was to prepare them for what is coming after his ascension or well after after his death and resurrection his ascension and what was coming up 
to 70 AD. And I would say, um, and I don't know, maybe this isn't as widespread, Ted, but you mentioned that only one passage talks about the rapture, or at least premillennial pre thought, and that's in 1 Thessalonians. Um, but I've run into several people that see the rapture in Matthew 24 as well. Like the not only four, four winds coming to collect the people, yeah, gathering the elect, but also sure. some, some also uh, with the God, with you know, maybe, and this is Tim LaHaye, where I think not as popular, not 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 universally accepted amongst dispensationalists, but but also the passage where two are out in the field and one disappears, two are grinding at the mill and one is taken. Uh, some people associate that with the rapture as well. Right, and and I um I meant. Yeah, 100%. I meant that, um, I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think the, the first Thessalonians text actually has We're caught the, up in the, air. the word rapture yes. tran translated into Latin. So it's not it's not the Greek, it's not a Greek word, right. but it would be the, the Latin. Um, uh, and that, so that's what I, that's what I was getting at. Gotcha. Yeah, you're right. There, there are gotcha. various texts that, that would, they would put you know, see here's where this is as well. Um, so let's let's get let's look real quick at First Thessalonians chapter uh, chapter four um, that deals with with that that text. Um, so I'll start in verse thirteen. Um, so chapter four, verse thirteen. Uh, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So Paul's talking about death, right? Um, the death death is, is oftentimes in scripture spoken of, of those who have fallen asleep. Well, and, and, and you're right. In particular, the Thessalonians had false teachers that were teaching them that the resurrection had already happened. Yes. So go ahead. Yep. Um, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so Christ will bring with him those who fall asleep. Okay, so we, we're already kind of being being trained here by Paul to, to think about the, the direction of, of things that are, that are going to take place. Uh, for this, we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive... We who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So that gets to your point precisely, right? That the, those false teachers are are wrong. There's there still awaits a coming of the Lord. Uh, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. So Christ will descend from heaven. So now we have now we have a direction. Christ is in heaven. He he will come. And that coming will be one of descent, not right. not ascend, descent, right. descent here. Um, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the, the dead will rise first. Yeah. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, um, without even digging into the text or anything like that, um, you you have you have things that are going on in this text that I find to be extremely difficult for the dispensational interpretation because the direction is Christ coming to the earth, um, right? It, it's not 
Christ taking you out of the earth, but rather Christ is coming to the earth and you being caught up is you are being caught up with him in his descent to the earth. Under a dispensational premillennial view, the rapture is you are raptured up, the church is taken up, and then there's this seven-year period of, of tribulation that has to happen before Christ comes down again. again. But yeah. here, Christ, uh, Paul is linking the, the taking up with the, the coming of the Lord. He's linking those two things as being the same event, coming of the Lord and Christ bringing bringing people up the dead will rise first and then those who are are with him will will join with him as he comes down uh to earth so i i cannot conceive of, of any way that a dispensational understanding of a a a a rapture happening and then seven year period and then christ comes again yeah with what Paul is saying here, where he's linking them to, together. But that is one of the major flaws. And so different teachers teach different things. Some have, K. Arthur has as many as three second comings. Um, and there's many people, you know, because you try to jive this passage with that system, he has to come multiple times. And it also, um, you have multiple resurrections of the dead. And, and you know, where is the, where is the, you know, the great throne, the judgment, um, you know, the uh, sheep and the goats, the great, uh, the final judgment. Does it, it happens sort of here or there. It happens, you know, and, and it gets very, very confusing. Um, again, I'm picking on Kay Arthur a little bit. Um, I know, she, I, I don't know if she's still alive, but I know she was a, a popular teacher for evangelical women for a while. My wife went through her, her revelation class and the chart that was unfolded <laughs> was absolutely massive, but it was trying to make sense of exactly what you're saying, Ted. It was trying to make sense of all that with all the other passages in scripture. So, hey, we are getting close to being out of time. Jonah, I can see you're ready to make a comment because we're getting I, close to be done. Go ahead. Yeah, why do we put time restraints on ourselves? Ugh, yeah, yeah Ted. Means, you're making this so different. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This, one, this one's on me. I, I, well, we can I, always do a part two. Um, we could, yep. One of the things. Well, we decided to bite off a little more than just the rapture, right? And like, and it makes sense because we got to get, we got to. There's a lot of background stuff, and so yeah, we could do several episodes on eschatology, obviously, right? But it's one so one of the I, things that comes to mind ahead, when I read the First Thessalonians four passage in modern hermeneutics is sometimes people think that Jesus is stuck in heaven and he can't do anything until the last day. Right. There's there's his first advent, which is the incarnation. And then we always say his second coming. What about when he appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road? Doesn't that count? Isn't that a coming? Isn't that an appearing? What about when he said he would come in the clouds of heaven to judge Jerusalem? Right. Is, isn't that? And, and so I like to say his his first coming, his advent, and then his final. Right. Coming. Final coming. Sure. And so a parallel passage to this. So let me let me read from. Uh, Isaiah 19, and you guys will pick up on the language. This this is the oracle concerning Egypt, God's judgment of mm -hmm. Egypt, right? Behold, Yahweh is riding on a swift cloud, 
and was about to come to Egypt. Well, that, that sounds very similar to what Paul's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4. Right. The idols of Egypt will shake at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. He'll entice Egyptians against Egyptians, brother against brother. They'll fight. There'll be judgment upon Egypt. And we have the same language that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4 about Jesus coming in the clouds. He's coming with a shout of the archangel on the trumpet. And it's this, I think it's an image of judgment. Um, does this Definitely. literally mean that Jesus came in the flesh, right? As we would say is the final coming. Or is Paul talking about an image of judgment like Isaiah in Isaiah 19, when Yahweh came on a swift cloud to judge Egypt? So there, there are different, like going back to Ted's uh, earlier comments about taking a more a clear text and helping it us using it to help understand a less clear text. I think there's just there's just things like that all the time. We try to limit Jesus to what he can and cannot do. That we find ourselves in all these knots. Yeah. Well, now we have to have three second comings. Well, no, yeah. no, you don't. He's God. <laughs> if he wants to come and judge Jerusalem, he can. If he wants to come and walk among the candlesticks of the seven churches of Asia and blow out their, their lights, he can. You know, quit limiting Jesus to fit your eschatological paradigm and just let the Bible yeah. speak. Well, and you hit on something very important there, and this gets back to uh, the issue of, of the analogy of faith that you mentioned, Ted. Scripture interpreting Scripture. People run to Revelation and and try to interpret it without understanding how those images, clouds, stars, seas, beasts, how those images are used uh, in Old Testament prophecy. People have no, you know, don't, don't, don't understand how to interpret prophecy or how the, how the New Testament interprets prophecy. And you go to try to understand Revelation and you end up, you know, relying on your own wisdom, which just ends up, you know, leading in all kinds of awful directions. Instead of, you know, clap, you know beasts coming out of the sea, Instead and of stars um, falling seeing, to the land, you have star third of the stars falling. You know, instead of seeing, you know, stars are used to represent leaders throughout the Old Testament, and so the Isaiah passages, you know, like that Joel, Joel yeah. two, you know, that Peter quotes in Acts, and many of the prophetic passages help us, you know, the, to see that you know um, how those images, uh, what they're actually speaking to, uh, you know, rather than. Um, creating our own, our own fanciful interpretations of them. So, uh, all right, the, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Are we done? No, no, no. Go ahead. One, go ahead. I, I'm, I, I don't. I, I'm not sure how how quickly Ted has to has to jump out of here. Let's make him late. Okay. Well, I'm just, I wanted to just suggest an an alternative. You know, so there's a lot of language in here from the Book of Revelation as well, which was John's vision that Jesus gave to him, and you know the the martyred saints are under the altar in the Book of Revelation. And they're crying out for justice, for judgment on Jerusalem, who, uh, the, the harlot city who's drinking the blood of the saints. And Jesus says, just a little while longer, right? Just a little while longer, then, then we will judge them. And then we read something like, and the dead in Christ will rise up first at his coming. Does that, you could take that to mean that those who are under the altar will join him in the judgment of Jerusalem. They will rise up with him. Uh, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught together with him in the clouds. His victory is going to be our victory. His his judgment of Jerusalem will be our vindication. Remember, like the New Testament epistles are all about uh, what Peter and Paul and John say, don't go back to the temple. 
right? It's about to be destroyed. The promises right. of appearing is sure. You know, he's being patient for the sake of you, but he's coming. You know, don't don't give up hope. Don't believe the Jews. Don't go back. Uh, and so Jesus's victory over Jerusalem and judgment is the vindication of the church. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't have to mean the final coming at the end of history. Yeah. I mean, it can, but I'm just suggesting that there are other alternative explanations to this text. Yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe this will, maybe this leads us into maybe another, another discussion that we can um, talk about next time. Or, or at least in future episodes, and that that's with um, kind of a, a a view that's being espoused right now, um, and and I'm sure there have been pockets of it espoused in uh, throughout church history, but never never within the bounds of orthodoxy, uh, and that's the the position known as uh, you know full preterism or hyper preterism. Right. Um, and that's the and I'm not saying your position that you just espoused right there is is would fit in that uh, category. Um, but that would be the position that would see all, all prophetic uh, announcements uh, of both Old and New Testaments as being fulfilled Completed. in the coming of Christ, including yeah. including the resurrection, including right. uh, the, the, the new heavens, new earth, and, and everything. And there, there, there awaits no final coming of christ or awaits no final it, it all took place um in 70 a.d was was that marker of, right. of when it when it took place right. yeah um, i think from a, in, in that i'm not saying that no you're not <laughs> no, yeah you're, well you're but, 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 not saying that yeah but i think from a dispensational premillennial perspective you know we're partial preterists so many of these most of these prophecies we see fulfilled in the first century before the destruction of, of, right. of the temple from a dispensational perspective, they, you know, they, it, it's an important question. So why, you know, why then is the, the final coming? Why is the, the, the great white throne judgment? Why, why has that not been fulfilled oh, in the wow. first century? So, yeah, so that would be a good, that would be a good discussion because um, full preterism is definitely outside the realm of, of orthodoxy, but from a dispensational perspective, I could see how they would think that we crazy fall into that are. camp. That we fall <laughs> yeah. into that camp. That's a good teaser for our next episode. All right. We need to go, but I cannot let you guys go without answering, answering the question, will there be a rapture? Well, uh, this is how I would answer it. Um, it, I should have said yes or no. <laughs> the, the question, no, not not the way that a dispensationalist um, would answer it. My okay. my under, my understanding is that um, the catching up in the clouds uh, is conjoined together with Christ's coming, um, and the so you cannot time. make it. You cannot make it a separate event, uh, something that's separated from His coming. Um, so whether or not we we take that that coming as being a coming in 70 AD or his final coming, um, you you cannot detach it from his coming. And I I would tend to see First First Thessalonians um, chapter four as a, a reference to his final coming. Um, so my view of of this particular text would be it's speaking of the the resurrection. It's speaking of the the general resurrection um that uh we we await um at at christ's at christ's coming so Jonah? 
I agree with Ted that uh, I don't think that this text lends itself to the dispensational view of the rapture. Whatever Paul is saying here, like I said earlier, there's so much other stuff tied into the dispensational view of the rapture that you have to unravel. Uh, and a lot of it's just false hermeneutical principles that build to that point. And so whatever Paul is saying here, and I'm not saying I have the final word on what Paul is saying here, but I can with full confidence say whatever he's saying here, it's not what the dispensationalists are teaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think there will be a rapture uh, in that regard, like they're teaching. And I do not think it'll, if there is one, it won't be anytime soon. Well, I, and, and also we didn't have, we don't have time to go. We didn't have time to go into all the other details, but if the rapture falls, the dispensational premillennial understanding of antichrist, mark of the beast, rebuilding the temple, Israel, all of it kind of, it all, it all goes together. But maybe we'll have more time to discuss that at another time. All right, guys. The, the COVID shot was not the mark of the beast. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Neither is a social credit score. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Glad, glad we solved all the eschatological issues, brothers. That's right. Yep. 45 uh, minutes. So. Yeah, it looks like we got to have about 20 more episodes probably. But, <laughs> but so, uh, the yeah, the short answer, will there be a rapture? We Yeah, thank you, guys. All right. Uh, till next time, then. Until next time. All right. Blessings, brothers. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy Sword and Song, please share and subscribe. We encourage you to send your comments and questions to swordandsong at protonmail.com. See you next time. <laughs>